Welcome to Soul Rio, a church where God is made center, families made stronger, and lives restored. Today's sermon is entitled, My Church is Not Perfect, presented by Dr. Bunce on July 15th, 2018. This morning for your love and for your grace. Lord, we need it. We come here for you, Father. We come to hear your word. We come to worship you. We come to gather together as a family to encourage one another, to stir each other up to the things that you have for us, Lord. Lord, you're doing some amazing things in our lives. So many, so many things through us and in us, Father, in this community. I pray that you would guide us and that you would lead us and that you would show us the things that you'd have for us, Lord. I lift up Dr. Bunce to you this morning as he opens up your word and he shares the message that you've given him. Father, that we would listen, that we would be open-minded, have open hearts, and seek to hear from you, Father. We love you, we praise you, and we give you glory, all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Let me invite you to look at the screen for just a moment. Go back to that slide, would you? That where you just were. That's, that's a great picture. Uh, if you have a Bible, or if there's a pew Bible, uh, that it, right into the chair in front of you, beside you, just reach down and grab one of those Bibles if you didn't bring one. Uh, you, I'm going to ask you to turn to page 900, because that's where this text is found. If you want to use one of the Bibles that's there, turn to page 900. One of the things that constantly captures me is waking up each morning and knowing as I look across the landscape of New Mexico and New Mexico is home to me my mother's family came to New Mexico with the Spanish land grants so we've been here a long time we've been here a long time but one of the things that captures me each and every day is in New Mexico if our statics our statistics Yes. Statisticians tell us, our statistics tell us, that each day there are 1,783,000 New Mexicans that are lost and dying and headed to a devil's hell. 1,783,000. When you look at the world, this big mass in which you and I live, we share it with over 7 billion people. We recognize that statistically, 2 billion of those 7 billion have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. That is why your church partners with the other churches in our convention, and we channel money through like a great canal getting resources financially to provide missions and missionaries for all of the lost. That's why a thing called the cooperative program. The idea of cooperation is involved and, and I'm thankful for your pastor and, and for your church and, and the cooperation we have together with sister churches, 354 in New Mexico, 47,000 in the United States, partnering together so we can have the resources to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those 1,783,000 in New Mexico and those 2 billion that have never heard the name of Jesus somewhere in the world. But why is that important? Well, go back to that slide if you will. I want you to leave it up for just a moment because I, I want to... 
I want to introduce this sermon in a way I never really had planned to. But you know what the root of this passage is? John chapter 13 allows you and I to see something that is absolutely remarkable. Jesus is about to be betrayed. And we know his betrayer was named Judas. And before Jesus ever gives this commandment, he has Judas leave. He says to Judas, whatsoever you do, do it quickly. Get it done. Jesus is aware that Judas is about to betray him. In fact, in Mark's gospel, three times, Jesus predicts his crucifixion. He predicts that he will be handed over. He will be mistried. He will be found falsely guilty. He will be put to death by the Romans. He will be betrayed by one of his own. But, but he knows that Judas is going to do this. And strangely enough, we've just had a wonderful occasion called the Lord's Supper, communion. It is a reenactment of the Passover. And Jesus says to Judas, whatever you're going to do, do it. Judas gets up, he leaves the room, and he exits. And then... In verse 34, Jesus of chapter 13, on page 900, if you're there, Jesus tells his disciples, A new commandment I give you. A new commandment. And then he follows up with this verse. By this. Now what is the commandment? That you love one another. Now, and I like that. I like that thought that you love. There are multiple words in the, in the Greek language for love. We know that the agapo, the, the, the root of this, is, is a love that only God gives. So why would Jesus have Judas leave? Because Jesus is saying to Judas, by even him leaving, I'm going to give a commandment you could never keep. Because the people that love one another like this are not people of the world. They're people of the family. They're not people that you might just pass in the mall in Cottonwood. They are people you will meet in the family called the church. Because, you see, only people who know God can love like God. And if you don't know God, you can never love like God. See, what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is how to do what is only like God. And I, I love the concept, by this, all people, in other words, those outside of the family, are going to see there's something different in the family. Now, I'm just going to be real honest with you. Before I met Jesus, I was a crumb. After I met Jesus, I was a crumb. 
The difference is pre-forgiven crumb, post-forgiven crumb. Amen. So look at the next person next to you and say, don't look all crusty, you crumb too. So, so that's, that's just really it. Yeah, don't look all crusty, you're crumb too. You see, but before I met Jesus, I was a crumb. And we're just a bunch of crusties, amen. But the truth is, I longed to have a family. A family. Now, let me just tell you, I was raised in a huge family. My father had four children. My mother had four children. I came along number nine. My little sister came along number ten. They have written books of dysfunctional families in psychology based on my family. <laughs> we were a mess. Five boys, five girls. I was the baby boy and celebrated when Vietnam came because it meant my older brothers were leaving home. Hallelujah. That's horrible. Yeah, it is. It is. It's horrible. Yes. Have a nice time. Yeah. Right when you don't get shot. It was a mess. But you see, I longed for a family. Now, the beautiful thing is, God's done some great work in our family. But it's kind of like straightening out a tin can that's been run over by a train. It takes a lot of work, amen. And he's not finished with our family. But you see, the family that I found that was so different than the family I was raised in was a family that understood this verse. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. Now, now let me help you here. In, in the Greek New Testament, there, there are two primary words used for love. Well, we have the word agape. We have eros. We have, we have all of those kind of loves. But the word one another, there are two specific words for those. One is the Greek word heteros. Another. And the other is the Greek word alas. Another. For example, this is a book. Would you concur? Yes. This is a book. Would you concur? Yes. These are heteros. This is another book, but of a different kind. Is it a book? Yes. But it is a heteros. It is not a alas. Now, if I were to take my Bible and walk over to my wife and have her open her Bible, which she has now, she would tell you that every word in her Bible are identical page number, placement, exactness to my Bible. Her Bible and my Bible are alas. It's another Bible. But it's another of exactly the same kind. So what Jesus says here, 
is by this foot they will know that you're my disciple if you have love, agapo, the love of God for one another, for others who are of the same kind. So look at the person next to you and say, are you fruity tooty just like me? You see, you're of the same kind. You're of the same kind. Yeah. You see, a disciple is someone that knows that their role is to follow Jesus. But they recognize, they are astutely aware that the one another is another person just like them. So let me just be honest with you. If you're perfect, you won't fit in my family. Because smile real big and say, you may be good, but you ain't perfect, sweetheart. That's, that's the reality. Because we're all crumbs. We're all broken. Sin has affected all of us. So with that as a backdrop, I want you to turn in your Bible, if you're using the Pew Bible, to page 811, or if you're using your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to talk about forgiveness, the most amazing word. Forgiveness, the most amazing word. Now, the word forgiveness is interesting to me. I want you to imagine what happens. When you were a little child, you began to learn what it meant to interact with other people. Now, some of you were blessed. You were blessed to be in a very strong, a very healthy family. Some of you were like me. My mother used to put a roadmap in my lunchbox, hoping I would find a way somewhere. But, but some of you had a real strong, cohesive family. But the simple truth is, it doesn't matter what your family was like. It doesn't matter where you lived. All of you, at some time in your life, were hurt. Would you raise your hand and agree to that? You were hurt. In fact, the simple truth is, I want you to imagine a big backpack or I see that big bag of balls and as I see that big bag of balls and as I look at this thing, I realize that in life, what you and I do when we're little kids is we have a pack, a bag. And every time somebody hurts us, guess what happens? We just kind of open up the sack and put it in there. And I know a lot of people who are going through life And this sack has become so heavy, they can't carry it, but they kind of drag it from relationship to relationship to relationship. And one of the things that happens is you can't separate all this stuff. It's kind of like marinara sauce, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) It just all looks the same when you look inside of this big sack. And in your life and my life, we have... All of our lives been gathering stuff. Now, let me just kind of help you in this way. Do you recognize that you're just one of seven billion people on the planet? 
But the amazing thing is, and we sang about it a moment ago, I, I don't know when you put this song together, brother, but, but, but I, I had to take a picture of this lyric. I had to take a picture that says, Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. I have no idea when God gave you that song for this service. But you know what? It stuns me that that is exactly, precisely what God is doing in the church. You see, the way you show your love is your willingness to allow God to help you empty the bag. Now, let me introduce it to you in a fashion that you know well. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9, you know what is called the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer. How many of you have memorized this passage? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our... Everybody has a different, we'll talk about that in a moment. De debts, trespasses, as we have forgiven our trespassors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, when we look at that passage of Scripture, I want you to see what that passage of Scripture teaches. I want you to understand that it's called the Lord's Prayer, but really it's a model prayer. It's an outline of how to pray, not an instruction to merely recite this prayer. It gives you the framework of what prayer should be like. Now, we know in the Bible the first time you ever find prayer is in Genesis chapter 4 verse 26. That's the first time. Because relationships were much tighter. Adam and Eve with God. And then sin comes and separates. Relationships are destroyed. And you will discover that the Bible says in Genesis 4.26. And people began to call on the name of the Lord. They started to pray. They began to pray. And people have been praying ever since. I have people all the time tell me, well, I'm so bummed out there's no prayer in school. There'll always be prayer in school. As long as teachers give tests, there will be prayer in school. <laughs> Amen? There will always be prayer in school. You see, what bums me out is not the prayer in school being absent. What bums me out is prayer in homes being absent. That's the thing that's most concerning to me. But, uh, but I want you to see this prayer. I want you to understand that we are told to pray like this. The very next slide gives us some principles of this prayer. Now it begins by reminding us that we are praying to a person. God is not an it. He is not some celestial deity that is beyond our ability to interact with and comprehend. It begins by saying, pray like this, our 
Father. Our Father. Our Father. So if you and I have the same Father, what does that mean? We're brother and sister. You see, you and I are a part of a family. That new family that I was so looking for as a young man, I found not at an adoption agency, but at the master adopter. I have been adopted by Christ into a wonderful new family. Do you recognize the significance of that? I have a family. You're stuck with me. It's kind of like a little boy dragging a puppy home. Mama, can we keep him? And y'all have to look at me and say, yes. Yes. You're stuck with me. And I'm stuck with you. Now we get all lofty. And to dwell there above with those that we love, that will be glory. But to live here below with those that we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> but you see, that's why it is alas. Because there are others just like us. But you see, we pray to a person, our Father. Now, he's an amazing person because his name is to be praised. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, special, sacred be thy name. I love that. There is an aspect of praise to there. We pray praise to him. But then, there is a purpose in praying. Notice what the purpose is. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. You see, prayer is not to get God to change your letter grade on your test paper. Prayer is to get you to change to the will of God. Remember when Jesus was in the garden and before his death he prayed, Father, not my will, but your will. Thine will be done. Prayer is purposeful. What is your will, God? Help me to align myself to your will. Now, if you've ever ridden the rail runner, that's the New Mexico Greyhound to Santa Fe and south to Berlin. Do you realize that you can't call them and tell them what time you want them to stop and pick you up? In fact, you can't have them move the tracks closer to your house so you don't have to go a long ways to get there. They have a schedule. And if you miss the schedule, this is what you get to do to the train. <laughs> but the truth is, God has His will. 
And he is not to align his will closer to our house to accommodate our schedule. But true prayer says, God, your will be done. I align myself to his schedule, to his will. Does that make sense? So we pray to a person when we pray praise and there is a purpose in our prayer and there is a provision in our prayer. Give us this day our 401k. <laughs> Help us, oh God, that the Dow Industrials go up 500 points today. Amen. No. It is give us this day our daily bread. Not weekly bread, not monthly bread. That's our daily bread. You see, what God tries to do is help you learn to depend on Him one day at a time. Because if I can be very candid with you, when you and I look too far ahead, we generally become fearful. Because it's scary out there. And when we look back <laughs> and see what it's been, sometimes we become angry. But you see, I want us to then see he calls us to the next statement. It's in verse number 12. It is a statement of pardon. And forgive us our, and say however you learned it, forgive us our trespasses. Okay, I learned it as trespasses. As a little boy going to Catholic school, remember catechism, remember all of that, trespasses. I like the way I heard one little kid say it. Forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. Now I like that little kid because that little kid understood this analogy right here. That little kid understood that there were people just waiting in line to put trash in your basket. They were just soaking it up. How can I aggravate you today? Now don't look all spiritual at me. Sometimes you're that person. But you see, it's a, it's a pardon. And you know the amazing thing is it uses the word forgive. It's really, a, it's really an amazing word. It's a word you and I don't maybe totally comprehend. In the Greek language, it's, it's an interesting word in that it means to leave it behind. Help us, God, to leave it behind. How amazing it would be if God, in all of His wisdom and all of His power and glory, could help you and I, and whoever this is, please 
forgive me. <laughs> but help you and I in all of his wisdom and power to say, you know, I was hurt when I was... You fill in the blank. I'm going to leave this behind. Forgive us our trespasses. Man, I remember when this happened to me. I didn't think I'd live past it. I thought they were my friends. I'm going to leave that behind. I remember what my father did to me and my mother did to me. Yeah, I better leave that behind. You know, I remember when I went to that church. Yeah, I better leave that behind. Do you understand what I'm doing? I don't know what this is for you. I have no idea. But what it is to me is God saying in real prayer we say to God God would you empty out your sack all the things we've done against you can we just somehow leave them behind but you know God doesn't do it like that this is how God does it. <laughs> Forgive us our trespasses. Leave it behind. Forgive us. It's an amazing word. And then the next word is one of protection. And deliver us Bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but there's somebody out to get you. I have what's called demonic paranoia. I know the devil wants to eat my cookies. <laughs> and I can prove that to you because in John chapter 10, it says that he has come, the thief comes... To kill, steal, and destroy. You see, if he can mess up my family, if he can mess up my church, if he can mess up my life, there's no way I can ever unload that bag that I've been carrying. So God, protect me. So let me help you. Let me wrap it up in this way. I want you to see some application to this. See, there's individual application. The idea of leaving it behind, saying, you don't owe me anymore, is a choice. You see, God chose to forgive you. Ah. F A me the Greek word to forgive. F A me. I'm leaving it. I'm choosing not to keep it. And forgiveness means that you're releasing a debt. It means they don't owe you anymore. 
You're free. Now, let me just be honest with you. No one will ever understand the pain that they've caused you in your life. They'll never understand that. They can't comprehend it. There's no use trying to convince them. But when you've been hurt, see, you and I will never understand what we've done to God. We'll never understand that. But what God says is, man, I have chosen to empty the sack with you. I-F-A-M-A. Joe, when you ask me about the sin in your life, what I'm seeing is an empty sack, dude. It's forgiven. It's not there. And then, strangely enough, when we fail to forgive like this, I, I tell folks it's, it's like drinking poison and waiting for someone else to die. Now that's an individual application, but what's the spiritual truth? You see, the ability to forgive someone else illustrates that you've been forgiven yourself. That's how you love one another, just as I have loved you, Jesus said. And then the greatest mystery of all is that God loves us so much that Jesus would die for us. I don't know about you, but that's perhaps the most profound statement I've ever read in my life. I remember when I was a student in the seminary, and I remember Dr. Bill Coble. Dr. Coble was a great theologian, one of the most learned men I've ever known, a very humble man. There was no prowess or height about Dr. Coble. In fact, I remember when we started class and he would pray and he would say, Oh God, I am such a worm. God, I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your grace. God, I don't deserve anything. But I remember one day a student said to Dr. Coble, what's the greatest truth in the Bible? And this is what Dr. Coble said. Jesus loves me. This I know. Do you know what that is? Join me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He is strong. Do you realize? Yes. Oh, geez. Praise the Lord. We could keep singing and singing and singing. But we must stop now. Because what I want to ask you today is have you experienced Jesus loves me? And the way you experience it is to cry out to him, Lord Jesus, 
I'm a crumb. I can't save myself. Would you please forgive me and save me? I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you were buried for me, that you rose again for me, and I invite you into my life to become my Lord and my Savior. Please save me. In Jesus, your name I pray. Amen. If that's never happened for you, let me tell you, that's your ticket into a brand new family. So I'm going to ask us to stand together. And some of you this morning, you just want somebody to pray with you. Maybe it's time for you to empty your sack. Maybe, maybe it's time for you to pray that one of your family members could empty their sack. Maybe this morning you need to unite to become a part of a family. Brother Floyd's going to be right here and we're going to sing a little song, play a little music. And right now, just with a heart of prayer, why don't you just ask God to help open your eyes and look in your sack and see what you need to leave today. Father, speak to us now, we pray. And help us, God, to examine our sack. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need someone to pray with you, your pastor's right here. I know he would. You know, toughest part is there's times you and I dump the sack and then we go spend a whole lot of time picking up the pieces and putting them back in the sack. How many times I thought, well, I left that, but sure enough, I go back and pick it back up. As they sing, they play. If you just want to come and pray at the altar and say, oh God, help me dump my sack. Just whatever God leads you to do. Come on. Come on. Thank you for listening. And we pray you were blessed by today's message. You're invited to worship with us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. For directions and information about Soul Rio and our weekly events, please visit our website at soulrio.com. You may also contact us by phone at area code 505-792-8737 or email us at info at soulrio.com. At Soul Rio, we're a community of followers of Jesus Christ, committed to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope to our community. We invite you to go with us on this journey.